0: You are magnificent. And what makes you magnificent is everything you've previously believed is wrong with you. And that is the quote of the day. Welcome back to the Quote of the Day show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. And I've got to warn you, I I have to lay down a Kleenex warning. If you got Kleenex somewhere around you or tissue or just something to wipe your eyes with, bring it in real, real close. Because today's talk by Cheryl Hunter is, it's a story. And it's an inspiring story, a beautiful story, an emotional story that I think is going to connect with a lot of people out there. And it's going to make a lot of eyes water and it might make a few people cry. And uh, it's just it's, it's just it's a real good one. I got a little teary on this one myself. And so uh, I'm not going to comment on this one. I'm just going to let Cheryl do her thing. Here's Cheryl.
1: There are experiences that we share Things that we all go through by virtue of being human. They unite us, these experiences that we share. And perhaps none unite us more so than the experience of going through bad circumstances, having difficult things happen in life. Sometimes when those circumstances happen, our only recourse is to ask why. Why me? as we try to make sense of life. I think the reason that those circumstances unite us like nothing else can is because we can all relate. At some point, at some time, we will all have those kinds of occurrences. I'm no exception. When I was a kid, I had to get out. I grew up on a horse ranch in the remote Rockies of Colorado and we lived high atop a mountain meadow and in every single direction except one, miles away in the distance, there was no sign of civilization whatsoever. I loved it. It was idyllic. I spent my childhood atop a horse, but I, I had to get out. I longed for civilization, for culture. I longed to wear the clothes that I saw in magazines, anything other than bootcut wranglers, really. (laughs) And I longed to go somewhere where there were people and meet them and and see them or know them, any people that I wasn't related to by blood. (laughs) The city was just calling my name and I, I, I had to figure out how to respond. One day, I played hooky to come up with the master plan. I hopped on my mini bike and rode the hour and 15 minutes to Colorado City. It was the nearest uh, town that had a store. Uh, I picked up a Glamour magazine as my guidebook. And sure enough, right there in the pages was the plan for my life, clear as day. I could be a model. I was tall enough. I mean, I was already on the boys basketball team. I just needed to get someplace where they uh, needed models. Uh, I chose Europe. Talked my friend Lizzie into going. We both got a couple of jobs. We saved up. The big day finally arrived. Now, no sooner did we land in France than a man wearing a camera around his neck, approached me. He asked me if I was a model. Told me he'd make, he could make me one if I were to just go off with he and his friend standing over there. That is how easy it is to become a model in France. <laughs> Lizzie said, no way in hell. Oh, but Lizzie didn't know anything about my master plan, so I just ditched her. Went off with the guy with the camera and his friend. They drugged me. They took me to an abandoned construction site and beat me mercilessly. I had no idea I had made a sound when kicked. They drugged me again and raped me repeatedly and they cut me. I had one action available to me which was just to look away. I craned my head as far as I could to the right and just stared at the wall. There was a dancing spot of light on the wall. It must have been a reflection from something outside and it was free, whatever it was. I stared at the little spot of light with all my might. And the harder I stared, the more I became the spot of light. I wasn't this scrap heap of a girl being torn to shreds. I was just a dancing, little sparkling shimmer of light that could fly away at any time I chose. They dumped me in a park in Nice three days later. It was then that the why questions really set in. Why did I have to come here? Why can't I just be happy staying at home like everybody else? Why did God let this happen to me? I didn't tell anybody, I couldn't tell anybody. I was now disgusting and dirty and filthy and ruined and used up. And if I told anybody, if anybody knew what had happened to me, they would know those things. So I didn't speak to anyone. I just pushed it all down. I became very, very aloof and removed and was a loner. I eventually did become a model. The profession suited me really well. Never once in all of the years that I was a model did anyone ask me to have a deep conversation. I had found my people. The phenomenon of the grass is always greener is alive and thriving in the modeling world. Wherever I would go, they would, within a short period of time, want to send me someplace else. Because wherever we weren't was looked at as infinitely cooler than wherever we were. Paris sent me to New York, Milan to Paris, London to Japan. It was in Japan that the next stage of my journey unfolded. With the exception of the time I was actually shooting, I spent the entirety of my journey in Japan in the agency itself. They had a massive, completely unused conference room. Nobody was ever there except the grandparents of the owners of the agency. They have this fabulous tradition in Japan. They include their elders in their business lives and personal lives. They're looked upon as a resource for the wealth of information and knowledge that they bring. What a concept. I was in the conference room one day, just frankly, I was absent-mindedly daydreaming about how to plot my revenge against the men from France. But I was in there pretending to read a book and daydreaming, and I was sitting at this big wooden conference table they had in there. This thing was probably 10 feet long. It was it was carved out of one solid piece of wood it was it was beautiful but it had massive dents and nicks and divots and it was narrow at one end as if it just that was where the tree narrowed and it, it, i was sitting there and absentmindedly running my fingers over one of the holes in the wood when the grandmother walked in and stared at me she said Ah, wabi-sabi. She shocked me out of my stupor. What's that? Wabi-sabi. Is that like wasabi? <laughs> From the other room, Miyoko, my agent, cupped her hand over the phone and laughed. No, she said. I turned back to the grandmother. I'm sorry. Wabi-sabi. Is that like a desk uh, or wood, conference table? Wood? From the other room, Miyoko chimed in again. She said, no, 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 hon. Wabi-sabi is the Japanese aesthetic. Oh, I said, completely confused. (laughs) Within a few moments, Miyoko walked in the room along with her grandfather. And the three of them took turns telling me their version of what wabi-sabi means. According to the grandfather, Wabi-sabi is the most essential of all Japanese principles. Wabi-sabi states that the beauty of any object lies in the flaws of that object. Things such as mistakes and damages or ruined parts. Those are actually designed in. The grandmother said that beauty is a study in contrasts. So something can only be seen to embody perfection if it also embodies a correlate degree of imperfection. These people were blowing my mind. (laughs) I had to get out of there. I gathered up all my junk and went for a walk. I, uh, I wondered, did this mean Wabi Sabi could even apply to me? Nah. I kept walking. Went to an outdoor cafe. Grabbed my lunch at the counter. Went and sat down at a table. And started to read. Within a few moments, I heard shouting. I looked up and saw a disheveled-looking woman who appeared to be shouting at me. And she was screaming, Naze! Sensoni ha! Senso ha! I fidgeted and looked around, certain I was completely mistaken, but there was no denying it. She was delivering her words to me. The man at the table next to me leaned in and said, she asked why, why you make war on Japan? (laughs) (laughs) I don't make war on Japan. I am a teenager make war on Japan. Who do you think I am? Some 60-year-old dude in an army uniform? I am, not, I am not the president. I am a teenager. I don't like war anyway. I put my face back in my book and tried to pretend it wasn't happening. The woman continued. Naze! Senso niha! Senso ha. She removed a cloth envelope from one of her bags and carefully unfolded it. The cloth envelope contained two photographs They were both black and white, tattered and yellow. One was a man, the other was a woman. She clasped the photos and held them above her head. She started to cry now. Now there was no ignoring her. I looked up. Every eye in the place was upon us. The woman with the photos above her head and me, the only Westerner. She continued screaming and crying. The man at the table next to me leaned in again. This time he said, she asked why? Why you kill her parents? Oh, now this was getting out of hand. Kill her parents. This woman is crazy. That's all there is to it. I slammed my book together, started throwing my stuff in my bag. Look at her, nose running down her face, snot bubbling up over her mouth as she speaks. Look at those crazy eyes. And then I accidentally caught her glance. As I did, I saw the confusion and the frustration and the anger and the rage and the fury and her complete inability to express any of it. I saw the deep, dark, Pit of her aloneness, and I no longer saw a crazy woman. I saw me. I placed my belongings on the table, and I bowed to the woman. She stopped crying. She be stopped screaming. She became silent. When finally I looked up. I said the only two words that made any sense. Wabi Sabi. <laughs> I've reverently collected my belongings, stood, and bowed. Everyone, young and old alike, bowed back. I used to pray that Wabi Sabi was real and that somehow, some way, it could apply to me. For a time, I was convinced that in order to be anything other than damaged, I would have to spend the rest of my life in Japan. (laughs) Now I know differently. You are magnificent. And what makes you magnificent is everything you've previously believed is wrong with you. I leave you with my deepest wish that you recognize your beauty, that you know your magnificence, that you claim your wavisabi.
0: All right, that was Cheryl Hunter. Such a remarkable story and moving message. Her website is Cheryl. Hunter.com. You can actually watch that talk on YouTube. Look up Wabi Sabi: The Magnificence of Imperfection. It's a TED Talk, and I highly recommend you watch it. And uh, you can head over to her website again, CherylHunter.com, and get a free copy of her best-selling book, How to Get Unstuck. And uh, that's it for me. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. I will see you tomorrow. Peace.